Well, school's out for summer, right? At least for most of us, maybe there's a few people watching and, and you're waiting for school to get out. And we even had a little bit of a taste of summer. A few, what was it, last week or the week before we got into the 90s? It started heating up. But just because school's out for the summer, I, I want you to stay sharp. And I'm worried about some of you that you're going to lose your edge. So today you've got a pop quiz just to keep you on your toes. But this one is not too difficult. I'm going to show you a series of images and you have to make a decision. And I want to hear you participate. You've got a choice. Will heat make whatever you see on the screen better or worse? So this game is called Better or Worse. I made it up. And, and you're going to have so much fun playing it. So better or worse? And you take a look at this first picture. Tell me, okay, the ice cream, is this better or worse with heat? Worse. Oh, you're on it. You're, look, take a look at my nut. That's what happens when you apply heat to ice cream. Okay, look at this next picture because you're, you're ready for this. Oh, wow, you didn't even wait for me to ask. Some, some of you, like when I was working on this, must be hungry. And steaks are on sale this week. You can grill them tomorrow. So let's see what heat, heat does this to a steak, and I hope that you'll enjoy that sometime this week. Now you're inspired for your lunchtime. Okay, take a look at this next picture, better or worse. This, I'll tell you what this is. This is gold ore, so it's golden rock. What, what, is it better or worse? It's better with heat. Look at, look at what happens. If, if you pulverize that stone, I mean, who wouldn't? It's not too bad to find a big gold rock. I mean, that'd be okay, but if you pulverize the rock and then you heat it, you can shape it into something that's even more useful, more valuable, and more beautiful. Okay, this last picture, crayons, are they better or worse? Worse. You were four for four. There they are. If you've ever cleaned up crayons from the back seat of a car, like I have, you know they're so much worse <laughs> with heat. You don't want to experience that. Now, what about you? When the heat turns up in your life, do you become better or worse? And I'm not talking about the summertime heat and humidity when your hair might get bigger for some of you and you feel like you're going to melt, but when you experience pain and suffering in life, have you, will you become better or worse? I want you to do something for me, and this one's not an answer out loud thing, but just in your own mind, or if you're making notes, taking notes, do a quick inventory. Try to remember, and it's probably not that hard, to think about maybe the three to five most significant parts of your life that have been painful. Moments in your past, maybe even a time right now that you're experiencing, the three to five most painful parts of your life, of your experience. It isn't that hard, is it? For most of us, we can think of those things right away. And today, we're facing a challenging topic about pain. 
suffering, about what it means and the way that it works in our lives. And I want you to hold those moments and those experiences in your own heart and mind as we talk about and explore significant truth about the pain that we experience. And then finally at the end, some steps we can take that can put us on a path toward moving away from becoming worse and hopefully becoming a little bit better when the heat turns up in our life. This morning, we're learning from a story in Mark chapter 10. So if you have your Bible with you or you have it nearby or you can open up an app, uh, find your way to Mark chapter 10. In a, in a little while, in a couple minutes, we're going to read beginning in verse 35 but I want to set the tone and the mood for the verses and the words we're about to read first. We're, we're continuing this series, Imperfect Disciples, where we're following along with Jesus' first crew of disciples, and we're discovering that they get it wrong a lot, and that we are a lot like them because of the misunderstandings and the mistakes that we make in our life. In Mark chapter 10... There's been a turning point in Jesus' life, and now he is with great intention moving toward Jerusalem. And Jesus knows what he's about to face in Jerusalem. Jesus has been performing miracles. He's just presented challenging teaching about marriage and about children and about his kingdom and what that will look like. And now, Mark tells us, he describes the scene beautifully. He even tells us the mood of the people who were involved. Jesus is out in front. And just behind him are his disciples. They're closer to him, but they're trailing behind because Jesus is moving with great intention toward Jerusalem. And behind the disciples, there's a big crowd of people. And Mark tells us that the disciples were full of awe and wonder. And the crowd was full of fear. And the reason they were all feeling these mixed emotions, these powerful emotions, is because they knew what Jesus was going to face. They understood that by this time, there was a strong opposition against Jesus from both the religious leaders of Israel and the political leaders. And both of those groups of people were centered in Jerusalem. And Jesus was now on a march toward the city of Jerusalem at a feast time when the whole nation would be gathered. And nobody was sh exactly sure what was going to happen. And so Jesus described to them what he was going to face. And he told them that he wasn't marching to Jerusalem with an army to overthrow all of the rulers. He was on a march to Jerusalem to be betrayed, arrested, horribly executed, to face terrible suffering. And he told them about this. And what do you think the disciples did with that? What would anyone do with that? How do you, how do you respond to that kind of news that you're not expecting? I want, you know, I want us to read here on the screens or from your Bible, Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 35, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. You can follow along right here, and this is right after Jesus gave them this news. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came over and they spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. 
What's your request, Jesus asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we're able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God, the Father, has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. (laughs) How would you have responded if you were with Jesus and you heard that news from him that he was about to be betrayed and die. His disciples reacted in a surprising way where they were jockeying for position, some of the leaders among them, those sons of Zebedee, James and John, they were arguing over who was going to sit on the right and left when Jesus entered his kingdom and began the kingdom for real. Somehow they, they missed the point, didn't they? I don't know if they just couldn't take it in or if they were distracted. They were distracted by the future glory that would come, but they missed it. You and I do the very same thing so often when we are confronted with that bitter cup, with those painful experiences of life that we never asked for, that we never wanted, that we never looked for, Just as often as the disciples missed it, you and I do too. And so today we want to extract three principles about your pain. The pain and suffering that you experience in life that's common to everybody. And then think about some action steps we can take as we try to sort through those painful moments in our past or in our present. The first truth that I want you to consider Your pain is not an indicator of your position with God. Your pain is not like some secret code where God is sending you a message at one time or another in your life. Jesus' words are very surprising and challenging to his disciples. James and John didn't expect it, but he told them, you think that you're able to handle this? I can tell you right now, you're going to drink from this cup. You will be baptized with my baptism that includes suffering. Suffering is going to become a part of your life and your experience. Part of the big message of that story of the text that we read is that everybody wants power. We all want to get into that position of authority, but none of us want pain. None of us want to choose pain and suffering. Every one of us, we want to get into that elevated seat. Who wouldn't want to sit right next to Jesus in his kingdom? 
None of us choose the way of suffering and service. But God works through pain in our lives to shape us into the people he wants us to become. Now, large parts of Christianity today, they are actively teaching us that if, if you are following Jesus and you love Jesus, and if you have enough faith, that you will always live a life that is full of health and wealth, that God will, will make you rich and that God will make you healthy. And that if you are experiencing some kind of pain, if you're experiencing less than that health and wealth, then it must be that there's something wrong with you and that you don't have enough faith in Jesus and in what he can do. And that is entirely false. When Jesus talked about pain and suffering, he didn't describe it in those terms at all. We just read his words where he gave his disciples a big pep speech about what their future life was going to look like. And he said, it's going to include a bitter cup and a baptism that you do not want. Your life is going to include painful parts and moments. Your pain is not an indicator of your position with God. Some of us, even though we, we know about that false teaching, that health and wealth and prosperity stuff, it still finds its way into our minds and hearts because when something bad happens to us, we start wondering what we did wrong. We start thinking, maybe if I had made a different decision, how did I bring this on myself? Am I just getting what I deserved? Is God trying to send me a message? Is he judging me? Is this God's hand of judgment because I'm experiencing some kind of pain or challenge or difficulty in life? Your pain and suffering, it's not an indicator of how God feels about you or of your standing with him. God isn't busy just sending you moments of pain because it's his thing. He's not always just testing your faith. Pain is a part of our life experience. It's part of life for all of us. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves. Sometimes someone else brings it upon us, forces it on us. Sometimes it's just the way life works out. If you ever try to accomplish anything, you're going to experience opposition. You're going to experience some challenge and pain. Don't be surprised. One of the reminders from this story is that our experience of pain, while it's hard to figure out, and sometimes it's very difficult to try to trace back to its source. That pain is not an indicator of our relationship with God. Our suffering doesn't mean that God has turned his back on us. It doesn't mean he's forgotten about us. It doesn't mean that he's unfaithful. It's part of the life experience for everybody. Your pain, first, it's not an indicator of your position with God. The second truth, your pain is temporary. One of the misconceptions that we, I think, constantly have to overcome is the idea that the way things are right now is the way things will always be. Most of us, we are very short-sighted people. And when we are caught in a moment of great joy and success or a moment of tremendous challenge and pain, 
either in either extreme. We tend to believe that's the way things are always going to be. That's not true. Your pain, it really is temporary. It's for a moment. I don't know if I've ever told you this about me, but you know, why, why not? Get to know each other a little bit better. But my favorite band is U2. And my kids love it when I decide it's time to introduce them to some recording that was from way before they were born. And it's time for them to experience that for the first time. About 20 years ago, uh, the band recorded a song that said, <laughs> it asked, have you ever been stuck in a moment that you can't get out of? The author of the song wrote that song in response to tremendous pain. A close friend took his own life because of the pain that he had experienced. And the songwriter then, in his sorrow and grief, he wrote down words of an argument that he wished he would have had with his friend. The things that he wanted to say and didn't find a way to say until it was too late. He said, are, are you stuck in a moment that you can't get out of? For some of us in here, there's a moment in your life that it's hard to get out of. You might be in that moment, or, or maybe it was five months ago, or five years ago, or 50 years ago. We don't get over every pain that we experience in life. But the truth is, every pain really is temporary. No matter how severe, how sharp it is, the Apostle Paul was a person who understood pain. He <laughs> described some of the different painful experiences in his life when he wrote his letter to the church at Corinth. Some of those experiences he caused himself and, and others were forced on him. The beatings, the imprisonment, the rejection, the loneliness and isolation. He talked about being perplexed and about being pushed down but not crushed. And in the fourth chapter... At the end of that chapter, he, after describing his different moments of pain, he said, our affliction, my affliction, my pain, it's light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory that it's creating for me. My affliction and some of that, I keep carrying that around. And some of it happened years ago, but the memory of it still haunts me. Uh, Paul did some terrible things in his life that stuck with him. And Paul experienced horrible uh, torture in his body. He carried around in his body those wounds. But he described that as light and momentary compared to the eternal heaviness, the eternal weight of the glory that God was preparing for him. It's hard to realize this, but the pain that you experience in your life, it doesn't last forever. It really is temporary. 
And in our limited experience of life, in our years on earth, we find a way to keep moving forward, to not become trapped in that moment that is severely painful. And when we take an eternal view beyond our experience of this life, there is an eternal glory that's waiting for us that makes the affliction we experience here seem light and temporary. Your pain doesn't indicate your relationship with God. Your pain is temporary. And third, your pain is full of purpose. Every philosophy, every faith has to find a way to grapple with the problem of pain because it's common to the human experience. Every one of us, we all share this in common. Whether you are a Jesus follower or, or whether you are trying to figure out if, if all of this stuff about the Bible and Jesus is true at all or if it's for you, or maybe you're even trying to determine if, if you're going to come back to the faith or you're wondering if you still believe. Wherever you are in life, we all share in common the experience of pain. But the Christian faith is unique in how it describes our experience of pain and the presence of God in that pain and suffering. Different faiths and different philosophies give different answers. In our modern world, pain is little more than a distraction and an obstacle. It's something that we need to always overcome. And so we try to deny it. We try to prevent it. We try, we try to live a life that is pain-free we try to keep ourselves from even growing old or looking like we're growing old so that nobody else would think that we're getting older because we want to deny that part of our experience. Some faiths, some Eastern religions, they've taught us that the experience of pain and suffering is it's more or less imaginary. It's something that happens in your mind. And so your solution is to detach from everything and everyone that's going to end up causing you pain because it's all in your mind. It's really just in your experience. It's not real. It's kind of fake. Other faith traditions, they, they would teach us that your pain is what you deserve, that you're getting what you deserve. Maybe it's from a past life that you can't quite remember, or maybe it's something that you did in this life, but, but whatever you're experiencing, it's like we used to tell our kids around the dinner table, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. And, and the pain that you experience is just what you get. And in fact, you've deserved it. It's yours, so own it. Some faith traditions take it a step further, and they then create a God, design a God, who is a great judge, who just lives to dish out pain and suffering. And he's just waiting for you to die and then he can really judge you. Christianity presents a very different view of how pain works in our lives. This week in a conversation with one of my kids, they reminded me about how the Christian author and philosopher C.S. Lewis described pain in his own life and about how God whispers and speaks and shouts. Lewis wrote that God whispers to us 
in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain and suffering that God uses pain as his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Lewis experienced significant pain and suffering, and in his book, A Grief Observed, he wrote about his wife's experience with the cancer that took her life and with his own suffering along with her and his grief after his passing. And with apologies to all of the dentists in the room, I want you to see this quote from Lewis about God and our pain. He said, what do people mean when they say, I'm not afraid of God because I know he's good? Have they never been to a dentist? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry if you're a dentist. <laughs> you just lost some customers. Christianity is unique in how it describes pain at work in our lives because the scriptures in Christianity find purpose in our pain. Our pain might come from different causes. God is not always the immediate cause of the suffering we experience. It's not like he's always going to work on us and he decides to send some great tragedy or evil into our lives. Sometimes our pain comes to us because we're living in a world that is full of pain. We live in a fallen, broken, imperfect world that's not the way God made it to be. A world that's full of cancer and diseases and viruses and pandemics. God isn't always sending pain directly into your life. Sometimes we experience pain because of the evil that's part of this fallen, imperfect, broken world and the evil that has filled up another person who then perpetrates that evil on us or on someone else. Sometimes our world in its, in its full-out onslaught of rebellion against God, we experience natural disasters and natural evil that's incredibly harmful to us. But through every, you know, there's another way we experience pain, and that's our own self, our own mistakes that we experience, the things that we do. But in all of those experiences of pain, whatever the source is, God really is going to work on us. He is redeeming those experiences. He is helping us to be changed. He is shaping our character. He's making us into different people. He may not always be sending that illness or that experience into, into your life, but because of his great mercy and because of his power, we discover that God is always at work doing his work to make us better and to make our world better. Right after Jesus had that conversation with James and John, he kept talking. And he said, you know, guys, it's not going to be with you the way it is with everybody else. You know how it works in the rest of the world. In the Gentile world, uh, the people who have power, they accumulate that power to get everybody else to serve them and do what they want. But with you, in my kingdom, if you want power, you have to choose the service. In fact... I just told you about the suffering that I'm going to experience, the suffering you're going to experience. That's how I'm going to shape you into becoming the servants that I want you to be. 
Because even the Son of Man, myself, even Jesus, I didn't come here to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. My suffering, Jesus says, is full of purpose. So how do we find that purpose in our pain? Wherever that pain comes from, whatever its source is, how can we discover purpose in that pain? I, I want to leave you with five steps that you can take. Now, these, these five steps are not the end all. They're not going to solve all of your pain problems. But these are five steps that I've tried to practice with differing levels of success in my own life, and they're biblical steps that we can take to address and to manage, cope with the pain that we experience, and that can help us find a purpose in that pain. Step number one, process your pain. Don't ignore it. Don't deny it. Don't skip over it. Don't pretend like it doesn't exist. Do the hard work of feeling those painful feelings and of finding out where they come from. Process this pain with yourself quietly. Process this pain with other people and process your pain with God. The really hard things in life almost always require somebody else to come alongside and help us. Find those people that you can trust and maybe it's a professional person, a counselor who can guide you. Maybe it's a group of people. Maybe it's a close friend or a mentor. There's a group of people that I've told you this before. They meet every Monday night at 6.30 straight across the lobby in regeneration. And, and that is a bunch of people who are trying to process their hurts, habits, and hang-ups. The pain that they've experienced in their life, the pain that they've created for themselves and other people. Find those people that you can trust. Second, the second step is to forgive. Because a lot of times, the pain that we experience in life is wrapped up in somebody else and how we've experienced them and their actions. And even when it's not, normally, somewhere along the way, we become wounded by the reactions of other people to the painful parts of our life. Do the hard work of choosing to forgive. Sometimes that means forgiving yourself, coming to God and asking for forgiveness, and then living in that forgiveness. It often means forgiving someone that you don't want to forgive. And this is not a one-time event. This is a process that keeps happening for those significant wounds in our life. Choose to forgive. The third step for us is to be compassionate. It's a fact that hurt people hurt other people. It is wounded people who most often are wounding other people. When they haven't worked through and processed their pain, they end up damaging other people as they work their pain out in real life. But it's also a fact that wounded people make the best healers. People who are carrying around deep scars, they can often have the greatest influence with others who have also been wounded. So be compassionate. The people who are annoying you and getting on your nerves, it's probably a wounded person. 
The people that you interact with in your community group, at church, at work, every one of those people, they're walking around wounded with hurts that you might not know about. So be compassionate. Don't be a wounded person who wounds others, but become a wounded person who's a healer. The fourth step for us is to keep moving forward. There are some hurts in life that you will never get over. You will never make them go away. But you can find a way to take your next step and the one after that and to keep moving forward to not become stuck in that moment, and to not allow your anger to turn into bitterness. Be determined that no matter what challenges and no matter what heartaches are part of your story in the past or will become part of your story in the future, that you're not staying there, that you're gonna keep pushing forward. You're gonna keep moving and making progress. The fifth step is to trust Jesus with your pain. Christianity is unique in the way it describes pain because our God suffered. Our God took on humanity and experienced life like every one of us do and then experienced death that none of us would ever want to experience. A horrible death, a death that we can't experience because he took on death for all of us. He took on death so that we could experience life. And now, in every moment of your pain, you're not alone. Jesus is with you. The suffering God who became man still suffers alongside you. So don't withdraw and isolate, don't fall into doubt. Don't start believing that God has forgotten you, ignored you, doesn't care about you. Instead, keep trusting Jesus with your pain. Some of the best people have the worst lives. When you study the pages of scripture or history, we can see that truth. Sarah, who was married to Abraham and longed for a child that never seemed to arrive, living her whole life in that pain until she and her husband, they figured out a way to find someone else to carry their child, and then she experienced that pain. King David, who brought so much pain on himself with his own failures and his own mistakes, his inability to control his own appetites. The Apostle Paul, who tells us about his sufferings in his letters, being beaten, imprisoned, tortured, Finally, even giving his life in martyrdom. Some of the best people, they have the worst lives, the worst experiences of pain. And it's true in history and it's true in art. Ludwig von Beethoven lived an amazing life. He changed music forever. Even if you don't care for classical music very much, he's influenced the way music still is written and performed. He had a horrible life. Beethoven was born to an alcoholic father. His mother had tuberculosis. She was sick throughout his life until she died when he was about 17. His father was demanding at best, maybe abusive. He began training Ludwig 
with music when he was just a toddler. And he had other family members who were musicians, and they began teaching him to with harsh methods. They would pull him out of bed in the middle of the night to force him to play and to perform. He experienced things as a child that none of us would want any child to ever experience. When he grew up, he was always unlucky in love. He never found that person, and he was always looking. Near the end of his life, he wrote a 10-page letter to someone that he called his immortal beloved. We don't even know her name, but she wasn't with him. When he was just in his 20s, and his creative powers were nearing their height, he began to lose his hearing. Can you imagine a gifted musician like that who can't hear? His hearing continued to deteriorate through the rest of his life until he was nearly entirely deaf. In one ear, he couldn't hear at all. In the other ear, he would use trumpets that were fashioned to connect to his ear and try to hear people talking or music being performed. When he was still a young man, he had to stop performing because he couldn't hear the other instruments. He couldn't, he couldn't connect with them to play in a way that made sense and was beautiful. He couldn't conduct orchestras anymore, and yet he still continued composing music. Most people believe that his greatest works were composed after he could no longer hear very much at all, and he would feel the vibrations on the keyboard through his fingers. And he would lay his head on his keyboard as he composed to try to feel the music. And he kept writing. And one person, they wrote about how they heard him in frustration and anger, shouting as he was there at the, at the piano composing. And he was saying, I will seize fate or I will take life by the throat. He refused to stop. There was no pain in his life that he allowed to crush him, to, that he would allow to make him worse. Instead, he took all of those experiences and funneled them into his music and into his creativity, and he chose to become better. When I think about his life and story, it makes me ask, what's your excuse? It's a hard question, I know. It sounds a little harsh. But when the heat is turned up in your life, are you going to become better or worse? Lord Jesus, we cannot make ourselves better. As, as hard as we might try and as much strength and willpower as we might try to summon up, we can't always keep finding that fortitude and strength to push forward. And so we throw ourselves on your mercy. We face situations in life where it's hard to make sense and understand where that pain is coming from, why it's happened to us, and what that purpose is. But even in those moments, help us to keep believing that you love us, that you're present suffering with us, that our affliction is only for a moment, and compared to the heavy glory 
that it's creating. It's a light affliction. Help us to believe that even when something happens in our life that is contrary to your will and to your goodness, that you are strong enough to find a way to create good out of that evil. And that our pain is full of purpose when it rouses our deafness to be alive to your voice. All of us will share and have shared in the common experience of pain. Give us the grace to not allow that to make us worse, but to become better because we've given ourselves over to you, because we've trusted you with our pain, because we're doing the hard work of processing and working through that, and we are forgiving, and we're compassionate with other people, and we are going to take this life that you've given us by the throat and keep pushing forward. God, we dedicate ourselves to you, fresh and new this morning in our lives, in our success and joy, and in our pain and suffering. We want you to be glorified. Father, today, everything on earth belongs to you, including us. And we are dedicating our entire life together to you.